How are we to walk with each other in this world? This world has fallen, and we are sinners that are continuously tempted. We are all at risk of becoming ensnared in sin and transgression. 1 John 1.8 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. So, how do we navigate this path forward? This is what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, we're going to start by doing a quick survey of the letter of Galatians. We're, we're in chapter 6, so we're in the last chapter. So let's go back and think about this for a minute. So the letter is written by Paul, and he's writing to the church of Galatia. Um, the Galatian church is not predominantly Jewish, okay? It's mostly Gentiles here, okay? And if there was a theme or a title that we could put on this besides Galatians, it would probably be faith alone. Okay? So what's happening here? So kind of to back up even more, what's happening in this church? Essentially, there are some false teachers who are coming in and trying to add works to the gospel and convince these Christians that they need to do additional work in order to be saved. And the Galatians are falling into this trap. Galatians 1.6 says, and this is Paul talking to the Galatians. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Deserting the, the grace of Christ is what they are deserting. Of course, there is no other gospel, but they are trying an, an alternative route to salvation. And Paul is writing this letter to try to open their eyes to this falsity. He's trying to to let them see that they don't need works to be saved. One of his biggest offenses at the very beginning of this book is that he takes them back to look at Abraham. Well, what is so important about Abraham? Well, in the Jewish tradition and in our Bibles, if you look back at Abraham, Abraham is the first of the patriarchs to be given the command of circumcision. But that's not what Paul points them to. He references Genesis 15.6 that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. It is by faith that salvation comes. In Galatians 5.6, Paul goes on and says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything but only faith working through love. He continues on by differentiating at that point in between the works of the flesh and walking by the Spirit and is urging them to walk by the Spirit. You see, what Paul is trying to get across here is that you have these, these works of the flesh where you are trying to satisfy fleshly desires and self, and then you have the Spirit that we are trying to walk by, which is given to us by the Lord as the Holy Spirit in our lives. And they are opposed to one another. And that brings us to our passage tonight. So our passage starts, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So we have many things. This is a big sentence, and there are many things that we need to look at here. First off, it says brothers. Okay, so who is he talking to here? He is talking to those in the church, brothers. He said, and it's a reminder that they are spiritual. 
If anyone has caught any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a, in a spirit of gentleness. Okay? And he's telling us how we are to act with someone who is caught in transgression. Now let's look at that last part there, transgression. Okay, what is a transgression? Well, per the Oxford Dictionary, it is an act that goes against a law, rule, code of conduct, an offense. Biblically speaking, a transgression is an, is an act in a way that opposes the law of God. It's sin. Okay, we have to see those can be, they're very synonymous with each other. You have sin and you have transgression. They're right there hand in hand with each other. So let's elaborate a little bit. So sin, sin is something that we can do knowingly, something we can do unknowingly, okay? It can be a physical act, it can be a mental act, it can be something in our heart, okay? But the, what we need to realize is that sin is sin. To give an example of this, someone who is angry might be lashing out in their anger and acting in a way that they ought not act. And even though they might not realize it at the time, they need someone to come and bring it to their attention. Whether they're aware of it or not, they are sinning. Okay, But if we are confronted with our sin, let's take courage in that. I read 1 John 1.8 earlier. 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, we have an advocate in Jesus Christ. And Galatians 4, that was one of the very first things that Paul brings out. He says, it was Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. That is the gospel. That Jesus took the penalty for our sins on the cross. He bore that penalty for us. He was died, he was buried, and he rose again. So confess your sins to Christ. That is what we are to do. Sin can be difficult to manage, okay? It's messy, can leave us feeling isolated, confused, condemned, ashamed, angry, hurt, feeling of trapped, can make us feel isolated or hopeless, lost. But this passage right here, praise be to God that he gives us a body of believers to help restore us. And that's the command is, if we see someone who is caught in their transgression or their sin, we are to restore them. And we're to do it in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so just previously in 522, Mike was talking about this this morning, where the, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Well, when it says here to restore him in a spirit of gentleness, it's not saying that you don't have to use those other fruit of the Spirit. Matter of fact, in order to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness, to do so you have to incorporate all of the fruit of the Spirit. You are loving someone if you are restoring them gently. It is a true act of kindness if you are going to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness. You must, must have patience and self-control 
if you're going to restore someone in a spirit of gentleness. And you must have faith because we know ultimately it is not us that is doing the work. We must have faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that he will do the work that is needed. And oh, what joy and peace it is when we have helped restore someone from their transgression. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. You see, the command here, it serves also as a warning. If you don't use gentleness, you might be um, at risk of driving someone further away from the gospel. So what does gentleness not mean? Okay, So let's think about this for a minute, because we have a spirit of gentleness. Some people might confuse that with some other things. Okay, it does not mean that we are to hide the truth. It does not mean we cannot be direct. We are not excused from addressing transgression. And we're not excused from doing something that may be difficult. Gentleness is not an excuse not to address them, but we must be conscientious of what we are saying and how we are saying it. And finally, that brings us to, ultimately, the heart of this sentence here, restoration, okay? So we are to restore them. So what is our job in restoration? We know that it is Jesus who bears the penalty for their sin and clothes them in righteousness and offers that forgiveness. So what is our role? Well, first thing is, is we can confront that sin and we can help them identify that sin. We cannot help restore someone if they do not know from what they are needing to be restored. And this gives us some direction. Let's think about it like this. So we might not know the right answer as to exactly how to help them get out of that sin. But if we confront someone in their transgression or in their sin, we're at least able to say, brother, you can't continue down the path that you're going. Let's work together and figure this out. But what we cannot do is allow someone to continue on in their transgression. That's the first thing we have to do. Second thing we have to do is we have to point them to Christ. Okay? As I've said before, and I'll say probably a few more times tonight, we cannot save that person. Okay? It is only the life-altering work of the Holy Spirit in their lives that is going to save them. And so we must remind them who they are in Christ. It's what Paul does with these Galatians. In Galatians 3.26, he says, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. And as sons and daughters of God, we are no longer slaves to sin. Therefore, we must urge them to turn from that sin and run to Christ. He loves them, and He cares for them. You see, True repentance, and um, this is something that I learned a long time from our pastor, and I think it is one of the greatest things. You have sin over here, and you have Jesus Christ over here. You cannot turn to both at the same time. You must turn away from your sin and turn to Christ. Now, that may be a battle, but that is what it is. You cannot continue on in your sin and turn to Christ at the same time. You must truly be at war with your sin. 
So we must urge them to walk by the Spirit. That's what we need to do with our brothers and sisters. If they are caught in transgression or caught in sin. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. It's that flesh versus spirit we have to think about there. The passage continues after that sentence. It says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So we're not above sin ourselves either, are we? Sin can be deceptive, and it can pull us in. We can fall into sin just as easily as the person who is already caught in their transgression. And this is a clear warning that we are at risk of doing so. So what transgressions could we be facing when seeing a brother or sister caught in transgression? Well, we're going to look at a few things here. The first thing I want to look at is, what do you think about sometimes? Have you ever seen someone caught in sin? There there are two common answers that you see where you think, I would never do that. I would never do that. That's pride, okay? That's not restoring your brother. Another thought that we might have is, well, that's their problem. And in thinking that thought, we are directly disobeying the command that was just given to us in the Bible. Ironically, in that the first one is pride and the second one is disobedience, we are also falling into transgression ourselves. Right there. This is that easy. Let's hope that if we fall into those transgressions, that we have a brother or a sister who will help restore us. Let's look at um, Peter. So another sin that could happen, what we have to realize is that we can fall into the same transgression as the one that we're trying to restore that we see caught in sin. And so if we look at Peter, we go to uh, Galatians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. It says, Before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And even the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. You see, so to kind of break down what's going on in that passage there, you have Peter who is essentially, he's eating with the Gentiles, and there's nothing wrong with that. But then he pulls back and almost um, treats them differently, treats them in a way that he should not treat them out of fear. And in doing so, he leads these other folks astray too. These other people don't know what to do. Even Barnabas is led astray by this sin and is caught up in the same transgression. You see, seeing a brother or a sister in sin can be difficult and sometimes confusing situation. So we must keep watch, properly looking at sin for what it is. Verse 2 starts, Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. All right, so just got done talking about restoration work. Now we're going to talk about burdens a little bit. What is a burden? I think it's easier 
to explain what a burden is not than it is to explain what a burden is. We know it's not something that's going to be light or easy to carry, or else it would be a pillow. But it's a burden. It's heavy. It's difficult. It's not something that's going to go fast. It's going to take time and effort. Difficulty should probably be in view when thinking about a burden. You must be willing to put others above yourself if you're going to help them with their burden. See, if you put yourself first, then that means by progression of that thought, if you're putting yourself above others, then you're putting their burdens below you as well. And you're not going to be able to help them in those burdens. And it is very fitting that this verse comes directly after verse 1 where it talks about restoration. One commentator states, the second responsibility of a spiritual believer who seeks to restore a fallen brother is to help hold him up once he is back on his feet. It is not enough simply to turn to help him turn from his sin and then leave him alone. So what are some burdens that we may be carrying? Well, as mentioned in that quote right there, one of the burdens might be the sinner transgression that this person was just caught up in. The weight or despair that comes with being caught in transgression can weigh us down heavily. It can be a burden to us. And we need someone to help us there. It could also be not just the transgression itself, but the temptation to sin. So we have sin natures, and some of us seem to be drawn to certain sins. Let's help our brother if we see them being tempted. It can be extremely difficult to war with temptation. But what a blessing it is when we have our brothers and sisters to help us in that. But it doesn't just have to be spiritual. You see, burdens can be a physical hardship. It can be some bad news that they're receiving. It can be a struggling relationship. The fact of the matter is that if we see our brother or sister struggling, we should help them. But it's interesting here because it says, bear one another's burden. It doesn't say you are to bear their burdens. It says bear one another's burdens. So what does that mean for us? That means that we must also seek help with our own burdens. We were not meant to bear our burdens alone. We may feel ashamed or frustrated or embarrassed, but what a relief when we have help with our burdens. The Lord means for us to help each other through this Christian walk. And to try to make that walk alone is not bravery, that is pride. We're going to turn to Ecclesiastes 5, verses 9 and 10. It says, Two are better than one, because they have good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, and has not another to lift him up. That's a woe. We need our brothers and sisters. And to bear one another's burdens is to fulfill the law of Christ. That's what it says there. It says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. 
Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. We are one body in the church. We should love our neighbor as ourself. John 15, 12 and 13 says, and this is Jesus speaking, he says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What better way to lay your life down for your friends than to help them bear up their burdens? To put your friends, your brothers and your sisters, your neighbors, above yourself. Lay your life down for them. This is our call and commandment in Christ. Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So our freedom should not be used for selfish gain, but to build one another up. It is that selfless love that we are supposed to have. And we must pray for one another. Psalm 5522a says, Cast your burden on the Lord, and He will sustain you. We must lift our brothers and our sisters up in prayer. We should be praying for their strength, for their healing, their well-being, their endurance, their wisdom, their discipline, their hearts, the list goes on and on and on. And that is what we do here on Wednesday nights. We gather together as a body so we can pray for one another. And it's what we should be doing individually. We should be doing that daily. We should be lifting our brothers and sisters up in prayer. Verse 3 continues, For if someone thinks he is not something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is kind of where it gets a little, I'll say, sticky, but we just have to look at that. What does it mean if he thinks he is something? Well, are we something? Yes. Yes, we are. Every single person is an image bearer. We are all made in the image of God. Every single human being in the history of the world is made in the image of God. And if your faith is in Christ and you are submitting your life to Him, then you are a son or a daughter of God. But that's not the something that they're talking about here. This something is if we think we are too good to help others, if we think that we have done this work in our lives. And that comes from a sense of pride. But what does Paul say? Earlier in Galatians, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not what Paul accomplishes. It's what Christ is accomplishing through Paul. It's not what we have done or are doing. It's what the Lord is using us to do. He laid down his life. He bore the punishment for our sins. He clothed us in our righteousness. And he did the work to change our lives.
And without his work in our lives, we are nothing. We're deceiving ourselves if we think otherwise. That brings us to our last two verses here. It says, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. So wait a second. So we'll have to test his own work. So yes, it does say test his own work, but I just got done saying we didn't do anything. So what's going on there? Yes, Jesus did do the work. But what are we doing? Are we living in light of the work that Jesus has done in our lives? Are we working to restore other people? Are we helping to bear others' burdens? Are we being obedient to the commands of Christ? Or are we simply putting ourselves first? You see, we have multiple responsibilities. We are responsible for our actions. We are responsible for being obedient to Christ, and we are responsible for helping others. And what we do is on us. That is what is meant by, for each will have to bear his own load. No matter what, we cannot save our friends, and our friends cannot save us. Each will have to bear his own load. That means, yes, we bring sin and transgression to our friends if they, if they are falling into that trap. We bring that to their attention and we try to point them to Christ. But we cannot physically or spiritually make them do that. And they cannot do that for us. It does not matter how much your mother and your father go to church or your family goes to church. It does not matter. You are responsible for being obedient to Christ and submitting your life to Christ. And it doesn't matter, a couple notes here. It doesn't matter if we look around us and we see that we're doing better than everyone else. You see, the Lord gave us each our own race to run. And are we running that race well? I can easily find at least 100 people in this world that are probably worse than I am. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter at all. It is what we are doing. A few notes here. First off, no help is not an excuse to continue in sin. If you know of sin in your life, you are to turn from it. You're not to wait until it is brought to your attention by someone else. Second note, and I think this is something that we see all too often. Acknowledging sin does not count as repentance. You must turn from that sin. We are responsible for more than just pointing our brother and our sister to, to Christ, we must also submit ourselves to Christ. So what then? How do we go from here? I have six points. The first, don't let others continue in sin unhindered. 
If you see sin in someone's life, look for a way to bring it to light, not with the goal to turn a person out or embarrass them, but with the hope to restore them from that sin. Number two, keep watch on yourself. You are easily able to fall into sin. Keep watch on your path looking for stumbling blocks or snares that may set a trap for you. True self-examination, it helps give us insight as to what sins we might be tempted to. Number three, if someone confronts you, listen to them. Take a step back and truly evaluate what they are saying. We should recognize that it took courage for them to come and to talk to you about something that is going on in your life. And that they did that because they love you. Let's respond correctly to that. Number four, seek the help of others. If you are caught in sin or being tempted, seek help. Don't try to handle that on your own because if you fall further or deeper into that, no one will know. And if you see someone struggling with a burden, you should look for ways to help them. That's number five. If you see someone struggling, what are they struggling with? Practically, how can you help them? And number six, finally, pray for one another. Lift one another up to the Lord. Don't wait for someone to fall or to get ensnared in sin or transgression. Let's go on the offensive and be praying for one another daily. So I'll leave you with this. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus does not put his burdens on us. But he will take our burdens on him. He takes the punishment for our sins and our guilt. And what does he give us in return? He gives us access to the Father. He clothes us in his righteousness. And he gives us peace. Yes, we will battle with sin, but Jesus, he gives us the ability to fight that battle. And ultimately, he gives us the victory. And if you are here tonight and you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I plead with you to seek him. Living in sin will lead to a life of strife and turmoil and misery, and ultimately, judgment. But with Christ, you can have peace. And this is the Lord's desire for your life.
I did not know that Jacob was going to go to Ezekiel this morning. I'm going to go to Ezekiel as well. This is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. Ezekiel 18, 32. For I have no pleasure in the death of anyone, declares the Lord God. So turn and live. 